This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's a show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Gershon, I'll be interested, is, is today's topic uh, one of our rights? <laughs> we'll have to see what our guest has to say. Well, it's, and, and, and Liz, I'm excited about this topic. Obviously, the Super Bowl is this weekend, so it could not be a better time to have Professor Rieslock uh, t- uh, on the show. And he is, you know, if I could spend seriously half hour of the show anyway, talking about his accolades and his honors and all the things he does. But he is a distinguished professor of law at the university. He's the Jamie L. Witten Chair of Law and Government, faculty athletics representative. And, and he and his wife, Claire, and their family are like, also about the nicest people in the world. And so it's always good to welcome Ron to the show and um, always a pleasure to have him on, especially to talk about one of your areas of expertise. And and you really are a leading expert in the country on sports and gaming law. So could you tell us uh, how you got interested in sports and gaming law? Well, thanks very much, Richard. It's always great to be on with you. Uh, You know, I uh, started with gambling and gaming law back in the 1980s when I was uh, with a firm in Chicago we represented Bally's, the people who make pinball machines and such. And uh, they had a contract with the Illinois State Lottery. I did some work trying to understand how gambling devices, uh, you know, the, the, the pinball machines and, and Pac-Man type games are amusement devices. But they're very similar things that are used for gambling. And how do you distinguish between them? And then when I got into academia, it's, it's publisher parish. I said, I know about this area not many people know about. Wrote some articles, got got uh, uh, well-placed. And then gambling became legal in Mississippi. And then it's continued to, sp- to spread, uh, you know, as lotteries spread, as casinos spread, and, and now as sports betting is spreading. There's always been a new uh, evolution, which and each one creates all kinds of new uh, concerns and topics. And frankly, 50 or 51 different jurisdictions dealing with it. Well, you know, you mentioned it's, uh, it's become fairly recently uh, legal to gamble in Mississippi and for some things in some ways. But is sports gambling in the U.S., um, even though it's changed a lot, is that legalized gambling a new concept in this country? Well, <laughs> uh, legalized, I guess it is. There's um, for many, many years, uh, it, it's been legal in Nevada to gamble on sports. Uh, but there was a federal law called the Wire Act that prevent, and, and it's still in place, that prevents you from calling from one state to another to place bets. So if you, you wanted to make a legal bet on sports, pretty much up until uh, 2018, you had to travel to Nevada, place a bet in a casino, uh, and uh, then you go back home and see whether you won or, won or lost or whatever. But, but that was really the only way to do it until 2018. So it is. It is fairly new, and and I mean, can you tell us what there's gambling and there's skill, you know, and and I think that's always kind of the dividing line, you know, in terms of what uh, has been regulated. So what can, is there a difference between something that is gambling and something that's skill based? Well, again, with fifty different states and the, the the DC and maybe the federal government, we got a lot of different ways we view this. 
the traditional definition of gambling is that you, you put up a bet, you put some money forward, there is an uncertain outcome and you win or you lose. And that out, uncertain outcome, this is this is where things depend on skill or chance. Uh, everyone pretty much always agrees that if it's a chance to do with it, if, if chance is the determinative factor, that's gambling. Um, the tradition has been that a, a, a skill can remove it from the field of gambling, which is why we see so many people uh, playing poker and, and, and poker uh, on TV and stuff like that. We've, we've had that for a number of years. That's viewed to be uh, a game of skill. This actually goes way back to uh, King Richard the Lionhearted leaving uh, 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 orders for his troops saying, put down the cards, put down the dice, no betting on that. If you want to bet, bet on horse races, foot races, uh, archery, uh, develop these skills, uh, skills of, of war in, in that case. But uh, there's been that division, which some states recognize. A lot of states have said any uncertain, I think, around us, traditionally Arkansas, Tennessee, were very strict. It, whether it was, it was uncertain, it was still gambling. But a lot of states said if it's skill, it's a different category. It's it's so interesting. It really is. And, you know, one that's really not skill, even though we like to think it is, is, is lotteries. And lotteries have become very popular. And, and so what, what exactly is a lottery? We'll get into sports betting, but what, what exactly sure. is a lottery? Well, a lottery, of course, uh, uh, as you and I are growing up, it was considered the numbers game. It's what racketeers did. Uh, it it, it, it uh, started as a concept of a daily drawing of one through a thousand, so zero, zero, zero to nine, nine, nine. Uh, and uh, the rackets paid back uh, 600 to one. Uh, your odds are a thousand out of one, but, but 600 to one. The states do a little worse than that. Most states pay back 500 to one. Uh, but but it's uh, a way to raise money for the state. It's uh, it's usually the worst bet there is. Uh, any any bet in Vegas pays back much better than the lottery uh, usually does. But the lottery is is considered by a lot of people to be uh, for beneficial causes to raise money for. Uh, in Mississippi, we, we use it for infrastructure. A lot of places, Tennessee uses it for education. Uh, it's, uh, and, and you know what, if you drop a couple dollars and you have some fun and you daydream about maybe hitting it big, cause there's all kinds of games now we've gone way beyond the original daily thing. And you know, with the mega millions and, and Powerball kind of stuff, uh, and for a few dollars, if you can afford it, but on the other hand, you know, lotteries have, uh, there've been people who've been, if you think of it as a gateway drug towards more serious gambling. Uh, and if you also think about it, as a kind of thing that uh, you're being encouraged by the state to do. That always bothered me a little bit. Uh, it's one thing to have our casinos say, hey, come play here and come gamble here, and you know that's what you're doing. So it's, there's a slightly different message when the state is telling you to, to come and gamble with us. Well, it's almost too. I mean, it seems like for most of us, who, if you play the lottery, um, and I have to admit, we Donna, my wife Donna and I took a shot on the $1.3 billion, um, you know, and we figured, okay, we'll we'll blow ten dollars or so on the one point ten billion lottery, um, three billion lottery. But uh, you know, it, it was a tax, really. And for most people that played that lottery, it was a tax. I always wonder why we don't do the same thing with our our since it's tax season coming up, and just say, file your return, 
uh, if you get it right and you and you haven't cheated and we and we audit you and everything's clear, you're part of a lottery to win, you know, X millions of dollars. And people would probably enjoy that and not complain so much about taxes. But um, but, you know, so it is it's, it's basically a tax for most people to play. But but now let's talk a little bit um, uh, about our topic, which is sports betting. And that when I was a kid, I mean, it, it, we we may have done some parlay sheets when I was in college that, you know, really probably weren't legal. Um, uh, you know, when we probably. bet on teams, probably, I know they weren't, but, uh, <laughs> but what, I mean, how, how did this all evolve? What, what, how did sports betting become such a big thing in this country? Well, I mean, I think people have always enjoyed sports and if you have a little money on the game, it raises the stakes and raises the interest for you. And I, I don't think there's, there's any question about that. And we've known since, you know, you and I were young, uh, uh, you know, high school, college, whatever. Uh, there's there have been ways to gamble. There have been illegal ways to gamble um, everywhere. Uh, and the uh, well, what we've seen develop over the last five years, though, is the the commercial casinos moving into that field, taking over from the bookies. You know, there are certainly positive uh, aspects to this. We have uh, tax revenue, which you didn't get when it was illegal. You have um, game, oversight and games that are that are you know, run that way. You're not risking uh, committing crimes. Uh, you don't have people breaking kneecaps. Uh, so there there are uh, a lot of good things, and we kind of can keep an eye. You can monitor it. You can see if someone's developing a problem or something. Uh, so maybe bringing out the part of the argument for uh, legalization is that the disinfectant of light uh, on on what can be a, a serious problem. Well, I don't think I have a serious problem, but I absolutely love uh, sports betting. My fun thing to do is when I go visit my family in Arkansas, I love to go see the ponies race. We would love for you to send us your questions about uh, gambling. Is it a right? Where can you do it? Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Since the Super Bowl is Sunday, we're discussing sports betting. Now, the tagline is winners know when to quit. I'll give you some more information about that next. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show from our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hey, if uh, you or someone you know lets gambling get out of hand, you can call the Mississippi Council on Problem and Compulsive Gambling. Their phone number is, if you have a pen, you can write this down. First, their website is msgambler.org. Their phone number is one 888 777-9696. There's also six other organizations that give assistance about gambling. You can find that information on the msgamingcommission.com website. This morning, we're talking about sports betting with our guest, Ron Rieslack, professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we've got Sheila on the line who has picked the most perfect show to call into because we've got a tax expert and a gambling expert. Sheila, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? My comment 
is that basically I have to pay taxes on my winnings, so I should be able to um, declare my the money I bet and lose on against my taxes. And they actually, I think, do this in England, where I'm from. Well, Sheila, if I, I, I'll be happy to address that. You can, if you keep uh, receipts from your losses, you can uh, re, uh, re, use the losses to the extent of your winnings. You can't end up with a net loss as a, as a, a gambler, uh, but you can, in fact, uh, at least offset your winnings by your losses. So they do allow that to that extent. Um, and so, uh, you know, make sure you, you keep those receipts from your losses. I, that's why you will see people picking up losing tickets from the ground at horse races and things like that. That's really not uh, completely uh, the way it should be done. But, yes, you can offset. Now, uh, the only people who can actually take a net loss will be professional gamblers. There have been some cases where professional gamblers have been held that that's their trader business and they can have a net loss that uh, 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 for that year. Um and so, uh, and, and I don't know, if, uh, uh, Ron, do you have any, anything else to you get an A plus? That's exactly <laughs> what I would have said. <laughs> so, Sheila, yeah, uh, when you're at the gas station, be sure to pick up all those losing Powerball tickets. Uh, but it's, you know, I forget above the line, below the line. So it doesn't uh, the, the it doesn't offset one for one, but uh, it would help a little bit. So, Sheila, thanks so much for calling in. We have another call. This one is Daryl, who is on the road. Daryl, we're glad you've called in. Please be extra careful. What is your comment or question? Uh, actually, the caller uh, that uh, preceded me uh, had a very um, interesting question to call. And thank, I want to thank you for answering that. Uh, my my question uh, is, uh, does the guest uh, have any knowledge of... Uh, Someone, uh, a, a a participant in an event that was asked to throw the game, for lack of a better term. And um, there was something else I wanted to ask, but I've for, uh, uh, forgotten it right now because I was interested in uh, Sheila's uh, question. Thanks, thanks, Daryl. Ron, have we since the Black Sox scandal have we come across any uh, throwing the game scandals? Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there have been a, a number. Uh, sadly, the uh, the Black Sox, famous uh, the the known as Black Sox or the White Sox of 1919, who threw the game, the uh, World Series to the Cincinnati Red Sox. But there were a number of college basketball uh, fixes in the 1950s. There have been, I think, uh, a few more since then. We had Boston College, Arizona State. Um, Perhaps most notably, and he doesn't admit to having fixed games, but but I actually just watched a night or two ago, I think it's on Netflix, the uh, movie about Tim Donahue, the NBA official who actually spent a couple years in prison. Uh, he acknowledges only providing inside information, not actually uh, changing calls or anything, although some of the stuff you see on the, if you watch the movie, uh, <laughs> it, it appears that... that uh, he knew that they were going to, for instance, call palming in a game. He talks about that before the game. And and if you're going to start calling a call you've never called before and you call it against players who you know are going to do it, um, it's going to influencing the game. So there indeed have been, there have been individual players who've been suspended for 
betting. I mean, the most famous, of course, probably Pete Rose is out of, out of baseball uh, and uh, therefore not eligible for the Hall of Fame because um, he bet on games he was participating in. So we, when the uh, Astros got in trouble for cheating and stealing signs, but nobody, that was just cheating, cheating, or technically maybe cheating. Nobody was uh, enriched financially from betting from that, do we think? That's right. We, they, they don't believe it's a betting thing. Be, betting, I mean, betting got the really bad name from the Black Sox series, and, and baseball in particular. So that's that's the, the ultimate sin in baseball. Uh Cheating, stealing signs is an old thing. Using electronics to signal a guy who's up to bat—that's uh, uh, that was that was a really bad thing. I think we, we all have to, to admit that. But uh, it's it's just a different category. Well, uh, enough about the thanks, Daryl, for your question. Enough about the the history and the past. Let's let's go for the now. We've got the Super Bowl coming up. So many Mississippi players are playing in it. Where can we go to make a sports bet in Mississippi? Well, in Mississippi, uh, sports betting is legal at our casinos, and that's where you have to go. Now, some states you're able to both, and, and we probably see ads on this if you watch sports on TV. You, you do see people talking about making bets on their phone. We do not have that in Mississippi unless you're at a casino. If you're at a casino, on the casino property, you actually can bet on your phone. Uh, but we do not have uh, what they do have in, in uh, I know, Tennessee and, and uh, a number of states. I, I don't have the list in front of me uh, where you can you, you can just bet directly from your phone without ever going to a casino. Tennessee doesn't even have casinos. It's sort of funny. They don't have casinos, but you can bet on your phone. It's so interesting, Ron. That, uh, so, you know, you see ads all the time, though, for FanDuel and, and also the big casinos in, uh, in Nevada now have their own sites that you can bet on uh, from your phone. So how can those rules be enforced? I mean, yeah, I know when I when I order a movie on Amazon, it charges me Mississippi state tax. Now it knows to do that. But what about how does how does that enforce? How do they know that I'm, I'm actually using my phone to bet like that? There's a thing called geofencing that uh, they do. And it, it was fascinating. They, there used to be used to be New York now allows betting on the phone in New York, but it used to be you couldn't in New York, but you couldn't in New Jersey. And they, they, there were maps you could trace and you could see where every bet was placed. And there were enormous numbers of bets placed just across the line. People from New York would go into New Jersey, place their bet, turn around and go back home. Probably there are people who live close to Tennessee or elsewhere, probably across uh, the state line to place bets there. Um, that's of course always a problem for a state if you're if you're you know bleeding bets if, if if money is is flowing outside the state and you're suffering whatever adverse consequences come from problem gambling uh, but your state is not breaking in the money that's how you really get to a, a an escalation of various forms of gambling um, that's how lotteries spread often across the uh, United States I think it's it's fascinating to note that. There are four states that don't have gam- don't, don't have lotteries anymore. Alabama, the, the, the Bible Belt, but Utah, strong Mormon presence, and the other two are Alaska and Hawaii, which don't have neighboring states uh, that, that encourage you uh, to, to take that step. Yeah, and I think probably those are the same problems with uh, dry counties and not dry counties. As you know, we'll just go across the, the county line, and, and uh, so gambling is similar. Um, so uh, you know, well. well yeah. Do you think 
and I know you you wrote a paper about. That. I mean, is there is there is gambling um, increasing in the United States, and is it becoming a problem? Liz talked about you know talk, you know making sure you get help if you have that problem. Yeah, I'm, I, it's it's clear that uh, gambling is dramatically increasing. Uh, the uh, sports betting, um, in particular, I think a lot of people find sports betting attractive. You know, one of the things Liz mentioned, like liking to play the ponies. One area of gambling that's dropping a lot is paramutual betting, horses and, and dogs. Uh, and if you think about it, if you're if you're going to a racetrack and you're placing one bet every half an hour or something like that, uh, well, I can be in front of a of a slot machine and I'm I'm placing a bet every every 15 seconds or something. So there's more more feedback that way, which is dangerous too. I mean that that. Uh, encourages a compulsion uh, to, to continue betting. So that that's a serious uh, problem. But uh, with sports betting, the tradition of sports betting was we bet on a game and we bet on someone to win or lose, and then you kind of watch the game. But with the phones now, the phones understand the casinos. You've got to know what teams you like, what kind of bets you like, uh, how you're doing that day. Uh, you're having a bad day. Do you think you can bounce back in this game tonight? We'll give you a deal. Or, hey, you've, you've won three games today. You want to parlay that with a fourth? Uh, do you want to bet uh, it's halftime, your team is losing? Do you want to see if they can come back and place a bet now? you want to bet if this guy can make this free throw or this next batter is going to strike out? All those are available. Uh, so folks kind of get egged on to to bet more. Well, they, they they absolutely can. Now, you know, we're still experimenting and, and the laws and the regulators are looking at what's allowed and what's not allowed. But that's exactly what can happen, Liz. See, when you go to the horse races, then you go get a piece of pie in between races or you go get so, go get uh, a fun drink. Uh, that uh, you, you, I like to take my $20 for my day of enjoyment. Right. Well, you know, one of the one of the most interesting stories that came out of the NFL uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was the Colts, I believe, were leading a game thirty to nothing at half against, I think it was the uh, Vikings. Um, yeah, I think it was Vikings. Anyway, they're they're, they're up like thirty to nothing, and you know, you can bet two hundred one odds uh, that that uh, they're they're going to hold. You know, you got to pay you got to pay two hundred to one to bet that they're going to win. But the casino took a bet. There's a guy who thought he was going to win an easy nine bucks. He put up 1800 bucks uh, at the chance of winning nine back. And, you know, darn it, if the other team didn't come back and win in overtime, in, uh, in, yeah, in overtime. Uh, so uh, it's uh, those kind of proposition bets, uh, prop bets they're called, can be made uh, throughout the game. Who's going to make most yardage in the third quarter? That keeps that escalates the, the level, the engagement in sports betting. I am loving the show just because it's 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 an area I have a little bit of knowledge for, but I don't watch live sports, so I don't see all the fan duel, all those uh, commercials, which are also prevalent and apparently illegal in Mississippi. If you have questions about gambling and the legality of it. We would love for you to email us your questions about what's legal or illegal on gambling. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org.
We're talking with our very good friend, Ron Rieschlock, Distinguished Professor of Law from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about sports betting. And Professor Rieschlock mentioned you can bet at a casino, but Where's a casino when you need one? I'll tell you about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. Man, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Or I'm loving listening to our MPB Think Radio recordings from mpbonline.org slash radio because they're all there at that one website. So whether if it's for the Super Bowl or you've got a good feeling about the baseball season coming up, if you are looking to gamble in Mississippi, you can head over to Tunica, Cahoma, Washington, Warren, or Adams County all along the river. You can also go to Harrison County on the coast or Neshoba and Jones counties have tribal casino Uh, opportunities. You can check out that Mississippi Gaming Commission's website, msgamingcommission.com. This morning, we are talking about gaming laws with our guest, University of Mississippi School of Law, Professor Ron Rieschlock. We uh, had our friend Daryl call back. He couldn't stay on the line, but he remembered his second question. It was, when did gambling become legal? And what does it mean to play points? Some of us are not as articulate or as uh, knowledgeable about some of things. What does it mean to play points? All right. Well, uh, first of all, when did gambling become legal? Uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll say that the Revolutionary War... A lot of our early institutions, Harvard, Yale, a lot of our early schools, many churches were built with lottery funds. So from the earliest days of the United States, there were forms of gambling. Most lotteries were stopped by about 1830. And we went through a period of pretty much prohibition until after the Civil War when Mississippi had a lottery following the Civil War because it was so devastating uh, financially to the South. Most Southern states started lotteries. Louisiana's kept their going for theirs going for a very long time after everyone else had closed down and uh, in fact became uh, nationally known. The Louisiana lottery was very famous and, and uh, finally took federal legislation to c- close it down in the early 1900s. Uh, then there was a prohibition on most forms of gambling with the exception of some horse racing in the South uh, until about the 1930s when Nevada starts to get some card houses and starts allowing some gambling there. Uh, The 1964 New Hampshire starts the first modern state lottery. They spread through the 1980s into 1990 and about 1990 Mississippi comes in with our, well well, earlier I missed uh, New Jersey, Atlantic city, but then Mississippi starts about 1990 and it's been a continual growth all along. I mentioned earlier, uh, 2018 being an important year because there was federal law that prohibited states from having sports betting uh, unless you already had it. And Nevada was grandfathered in, so that was the only place you could do sports betting. 2018, the Supreme Court declared that law unconstitutional, so suddenly other states could offer sports betting, and Mississippi was right there first in line. We, in fact, had our laws in place so that when the federal law fell, 
was a matter of putting regulations in, and our casinos were very quickly uh, accepting bets on uh, sporting events. So, you know, you can't point a, a date and say, here's when gambling became legal. In terms of playing points, I believe what Daryl's talking about is point shaving, or the, the, the point spread, I should say. And that's actually an innovation that made it possible to uh, to permit betting. So if you've got, uh, let's say, the, the basketball team at Mississippi State, they're, they're having a good year, and they're playing uh, a team from uh, Wisconsin that's having a really terrible year. And, and it's clear that Mississippi State's going to win. Well, you can't really – no one's going to bet on the Wisconsin team unless you say – Mississippi State has to win by 20 points. Now, if Wisconsin comes within 20 points, the betters who back Wisconsin win that bet. So the point spread becomes important. The point spread also, though, is where gamblers have been able to pressure players sometimes. We're not, we don't want you to lose. We just want you to win by less than 20 points. Um, though, and, and there's been threats. There's been, in fact, uh, the coach at Dayton University, Anthony Grant, Dayton University basketball head coach, just a couple of weeks ago, talked about how many uh, gamblers are calling up his players, complaining to them, threatening them, because they won some games, but they did not beat the point spread. Uh, people start to feel ownership in this stuff, and that's a serious problem, particularly when we allow uh, betting on uh, on college sports, Col- you know, there are a lot of pressures on college athletes. I work with them very closely, and 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 they're they're so busy and so many demands on them. And now they've got people calling them and pressuring them uh, because they they're not winning by enough. I I actually got to address the uh, NCAA annual meeting a few years ago, a room full of athletic directors, and I said, "What's going to happen when your alumni start calling up complaining that your coach is winning?" but he's not beating the point spread. And I was sort of scoffed at, but I think we're going to see that situation happen. And it'll be interesting to see how organized sports responds. Well, even, even when you watch sporting events now, you know, the, the announcers make kind of veiled references to this point point spread. Well, you know, somebody kicks a late field goal uh, in a game that they're already way behind or way in front, but it might, it might affect the point spread. So it uh, you know it does it has it has a pervasive impact. So now now one of the things that worries me is is minors betting. How old does somebody have to be to make a bet? Uh, almost everywhere, sir. In all of our Mississippi casinos, you've got to be twenty one. Some of the uh, Indian casinos permit eighteen, uh, and and that can vary state to state. Um, most places, and, and certainly the commercial casinos in Mississippi, it's twenty one. And you mentioned you mentioned the pressure on athletes. I mean, is, is have you seen um, pressure on students generally at college campuses to to be involved? Do you think that that has increased on college campuses? Well, I tell you what, there's sort of an interesting thing. Some uh, some schools have uh, reached partnership deals with uh, gambling outfits. For instance, LSU has a partnership with Caesar Sportsbook. After uh, they reached that deal, they sent an email out encouraging recipients, including students, some of whom were under 21, to place your first bet and earn your first bonus. 
but their deals, Michigan State has a deal. University of Maryland has a deal. University of Colorado has a deal. Even Texas Christian University uh, in Fort Worth uh, uh, has a, uh, a deal with, with uh, casino interests. So it's, it, it's an interesting new world of, of, of uh, gambling and sports. It's, it's the uh, sort of the third rail for those of us who work with college athletes. Uh, we have a regulation in the state of Mississippi that bars uh, athletes and people who work with them, including me, from entering a sports book area of a, uh, a Mississippi casino. So uh, I, I took my my student, I took my class to a a field trip to, up to a Tunica to uh, see a casino up there. Field and went trip, to, field trip. <laughs> <laughs> they went into the sports book. I I stayed out. I, I did not go in because that's uh, that's the rule. Yeah, I mean, the best I could do is take mine to the Department of Revenue. So you're, you're at least doing something that's interesting. It's um, a popular course. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, I was, by the way, I know you take a, a team, a moot court team, uh, and the, to a competition in Las Vegas. Would that same rule apply if you were in Las Vegas? Uh, the Mississippi regulation would not apply. However, uh, they do have me sign something saying I won't enter into a sports book um, anywhere. So I would not enter even in Vegas. It's really interesting. So it's hard to, it, it is hard to enforce these laws over, over 50 states and over the internet. Certainly. I, you know, and, and the, the thing is, that's really to protect the university. And the, it's, it's going in. There's nothing inherently wrong with going in, except if you're in, how do you see if someone's placed on a bet or not? And if, the NC, if there's a question, the NCAA does an investigation. We just don't want our people to be in situations where, it creates a, an appearance that they might be doing something in violation of NCA rules. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's, well, I mean, we're, we're so lucky to have you because you are involved in athletics here and you also are an expert in gaming law. And I think, you know, now that that intersection is so important, um, you sent me an article. We, we did a show once before on this issue and uh, when sports gambling was really just starting and, um, an interesting article on biometric data. I mean, it, I mean, how, where does this stop? You know, betting on like whether the player's heartbeat will reach, you know, 130 uh, during a game or something like that. People seem obsessed with all of those metrics, some fantasy football and, and, you know, uh, just those types of things. So um, where did, where, will there be a limit on what you can bet on? Do you think? I think things will vary state to state number one. So I think some States will not allow matters like that. Others would, there then become there does become an ownership interest in a lot of these things. So uh, a lot of the the, the leagues, the, the Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, uh, National Hockey League, uh, were all with the NCA opposing legalized gambling uh, for years, for years. And then uh, once Paps have fell, the, the the law fell, the professional leagues all pivoted. NCA is still against all sports betting. Professional leagues immediately pivoted and tried to get uh, an integrity fee. They said, you know, it's going to increase risk to us, so we want a 1% cut uh, uh, or fee to, to, you know, just because you're using our games and such. Pretty much every state has said no to that, so they've not gotten the the fee that they originally wanted. Now there's a lot of looking at who owns statistics and who owns data, uh, and, and can we somehow profit off of the, the, this, you know, the statistics from the game and maybe sell them even 15 seconds earlier 
to a particular outlet, you know, can we do that in such a way as to turn a profit or can we figure things, can, can we control can we, something that only we might know, like an athlete's heart rate or something, or there are things like that that we can profit off of. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it won't surprise me if the league's, determine that this is something that we have control over. It's not in the public domain. Um, maybe we can sell that for a profit. I don't know how much fun it's going to be to bet somebody's heart rate, but if you're a gambler, you might want to know somebody's heart rate to influence how you bet on their performance. I think that's one of the things about uh, addiction is that fun sometimes, you know, it, the the uh, intellectual definition of fun isn't part of it jay if if somebody's gambling on my heart rate uh can i get a cut on that uh can i get a commission uh, a rate on that please or how does that yeah. work yeah, well you know there you go with the integrity <laughs> fee uh yeah I, you know i mean that that would be the kind of thing that, uh, presumably if if we ever get there we're not there we ever got there presumably the team would have the athlete sign a consent a waiver or whatever so that the team could capitalize on that money <laughs> and they, they i mean that's probably how it would happen and frankly oh so it's it's a little bit almost a little bit scary to think about that i mean i i, I don't gamble on sports i'm a falcons fan so you know i it's not it's really not much of a gamble at that point but um you know it, it'll be interesting to see how this all evolves well and I, as as you know jay was saying you know if if he were an athlete and someone was gambling on you know uh, how uh, his uh, his heart rate or his ability you know does he who who owns that data that's precisely the question and i think we can i work mainly with college students we can safely say that that's protected information that uh, there's no right to release that, and I don't expect to see that become an issue. Uh, I, I could see uh, professional athletes uh, signing deals with their teams that would include the team's ability to release that kind of information, which then would probably be purchased by gamblers who are actually betting on something other than the heart rate. They would, but they would be using that information to form their bet, their bets. You know, we we have. Uh NIL now name it you know image and likeness uh, uh, I mean it's this is not too much of a stretch to to maybe add that you know that personal data as was one of the things that somebody would be paid for um, and that's that's changed college sports a lot too uh, and and you know monetized a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, things that happen with with college athletes um, would there be something like that maybe where we would monetize, I didn't completely crush that. Well, data, you know, I mean, if, if we could, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out how we monetize name, image, and likeness for, for athletes. Uh, so, you know, would, would data be something that we could also monetize that way? Uh, there are people thinking about how to do that, thinking about, about how they could sell things like that. I mean, in terms of name, image, and likeness, there's a there's a multiplier effect going on with the gambling and the name, image, or likeness stuff, particularly now with schools cutting deals with gambling interests. Uh, most uh, laws or regulations or school policies prohibit athletes from cutting NIL deals with gambling interests or drug interests or alcohol interests, things like that. Um, but it's interesting to me. I, I think it's it, it's worth thinking about. If LSU is cutting a deal with with Caesars, uh, is you know why are the students 
who are over 21 precluded from from cutting a deal. I mean, I think there becomes an art. Actually, had a, a student write a very good paper for me this past semester, bringing that very point up that uh, if schools are doing it, if we believe that NIL is a matter of managing uh, your personal business, if you will, uh, why shouldn't a student athlete over 21 be able to cut a deal with Caesar's Palace? I don't know, though. I'm, I don't think we want that. I'm, I'm not arguing that I want that, but I, I, I see the point of, of if an athlete wanted to do that, uh, a school that doesn't have a deal, I think, can pretty easily say, no, we, we're not doing that. A school that does have a deal, that's a lot harder. Yeah, and it's, it almost seems like, too, in terms of recruiting, because NIL is now an important thing when people decide which, which uh, you know, university to go to uh, uh, for well, sports. Yeah, I mean, it's enormous. If you read what Lane Kiffin said in Sports Illustrated, that's what decides stuff now. It, it's students are, are asking, how much money can you, can I make if I go there? That's, that's he said, you know, I, I can recruit better. I, I, I can uh, work a lot harder than you. Uh, but uh, if, if, if the other guy's got more money, that's where they're going. Wow. I mean, that's it's so I mean, we, we, we really I, I think especially what used to be amateur sports, college sports is totally changed by from gambling to NIL. You know, we're seeing a, a tremendous change. Um, and so, uh, you know, does that again, does that do you think that creates a worse environment for the I, I mean, you on the athletic, you know, uh, working with the, the athletics department? Are, are they concerned about all this? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're concerned about it. I mean, I think that there are aspects that are good. They're, they're trying to make sure that the athletes, I think today's athletes have better uh, physical uh, treat, medical treatment, uh, emotional and, and mental uh, uh, treatment. They, they have better training. They have better nutrition. They have better food. They now have uh, a more spending money. They have better uh, books and and laptops and all those kind of things at the at the premier schools at the sec level certainly for like that um but they are they're also there's there's increased risk that comes with this there are increased demands that come with this there are increased increased expectations uh there was a, a michigan state kicker who missed a field goal he got death threats it just was a story about that yeah i read the other day um people who give to NIL, start to think of them, to, a, to a, a collective in particular, can start to think of themselves almost like an owner. I, I, I'm invested in this player. Why is the player sitting on the bench? That's the guy who's supposed to be endorsing my products and he's not playing. Well, I want to call up the coach or call up the AD. Uh, that's on top of the, the betting on somebody as well. I mean, there, there's the, the, the full engagement uh, is uh, – uh, maybe fun for the fans it's putting a lot of pressure on the players on college students this is this gambling show that we are doing right now has opened my eyes so much you know my kids are a uh, a few years removed from you know being being college students and you know when i when they my little birds left the nest. You know, I had to teach them how to use the washing machine. It it never occurred to me that I needed to teach them about gambling responsibly. Well, that's a lie because we did take them to the horse races and we always told them, you know, however much you walk in with, you you take cash and that's how much is going to be your fun. And we we did try to teach them responsibly that. 
you know, betting should be done for enjoyment. My kids don't have the skill. So it's certainly it's not a skill. It is a chance of luck. And it's, you know, how much enjoyment do you want to use with your money? But, you know, Ron, it was so interesting that, you know, you told us off the air that one in more than one in every 20 college students has an issue with compulsive gambling and the fact that you have to be over 21 to gamble and that in Mississippi, it's illegal to gamble online. So uh, are, have any 19-year-old boys who gamble on their laptops in college, has have any been arrested or fined or any that you know of? I'm not aware of a prosecution against the individual individual gamblers, but I do. I, I mean, I've talked to law students, so college graduates, ask them, how many of you bet online? A lot of the, the guys will raise their hand and say they have, and, and they'll think it's legal. I'll ask them, do you, do you think it's legal? And, and with very few exceptions, it's not legal, uh, what they're doing, the places where I've asked them. And they're unaware of that. Had a student propose writing a paper about why it was legal to bet on this particular online site. And I said, well, what makes you think it's legal? And he, he pulled it up and said, well, it says it's legal. He ended up writing his paper about how, how that company was lying by saying it was legal when, in fact, of course, in Mississippi, online uh, gambling is illegal. Uh, so it's it's a serious it, it, we, we talk a lot about athletes. There's there is serious concern about what's going on in college campuses in general with our general students. And, and parents do need to be aware of that. And it's really, you know, I, I think it's so interesting, you know, uh, for long term, I mean, just the the ability to buy it was shopping online. People get obsessed with that. So when you start talking about being able to bet on lots of different things uh, online, you can really see how someone could get into financial trouble uh, very quickly. Well, yeah, and and, and uh, college campuses. There are some. Uh, there was a task force uh, on college gambling uh, that was put together through Harvard Medical School that came up with a lot of proposals, things that colleges should do, and colleges. Only about 23% of colleges nationally have any kind of program looking at gambling. They all do about unsafe sex, about drugs, about drinking, but they're not looking at uh, gambling. Uh, gambling often leads to problems with drugs and alcohol and things like that. So uh, I think it's something that any college administrator should be aware of, parents should be aware of, and be aware of in yourself. We're going to see uh, upticks in problems. I'm not a prohibitionist. Uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, you can have fun at a casino, and then there's nothing wrong with that. But um, if you do it responsibly, like, like Liz said. All right. Well, it is time. Super Bowl is this weekend. Real quick, Professor Gershon, are you uh, you think the the Eagles or the Kansas City Chiefs? What do you think? I have two good friends. One teaches another law school. And one is our associate dean here, who are Eagle fans. So I'm, I'm rooting for the Eagles. All right, Ron. If you had two dollars to put down, uh, what would you? Who would you bet on? I can't go against Patrick Mahomes. So I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Jay White, close us out. I have no idea who who would you bet if uh, if uh, you were forced forced to make a bet on the Super Bowl, Jay? Uh, the Chiefs. Okay. Well. Thank you so much, Ron Rieschlack, for joining us. That wraps up today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Jermaine Flood, for being our podcast producer. Join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.